yeah, I've always think it's really important to be able to put put on like a good good show. Jazz is already like such a niche and sometimes hard to can be challenging to listen for for like a regular audience member and and so I feel like that it's really important to to really put your mind into it when you're actually performing. <laughs> Welcome to episode 93 of the Bay Shed Podcast. My name is Ryan Roberts. All right, as I mentioned on the last episode, Lemur Music and the Bay Shed will be launching the Bay Shed Academy in January of 2023. All right, so there's there's a lot of ins and outs. There's a lot of ins and outs with all this. The Bay Shed Academy is a nonprofit organization I started to support bass education and the bass community. So not only will lessons be offered through Lemur Music, but there will also be a lot of opportunities for remote lessons as well. Like it's a whole thing. If anybody has ever started a nonprofit, you know that that is not an easy task. And what I am learning is that is not at all an easy task. It's uh, there's a lot. There's a lot to that. Uh, but I'm having a lot of fun doing it. I'm having a lot of fun doing it. Um, and to be honest, I'm a little scared to say too much about it all until it's actually up and running and that there's, you know, information published about it. But I am super excited about it. I'll be talking more about it and the faculty of the program as it gets closer. Lemur Music has been incredibly supportive and I'm so happy they're on board. Uh, stop by lemurmusic.com for everything you need for the double bass. Use the promo code THEBASSSHED, all one word, for 10% off. Now, that is not just, the whole Bass Shed Academy thing is not just a really long lemur ad. Uh, that's actually something that's going to be really fun. Uh, it's something I'm really passionate about. In addition to, this part actually is a lemur ad. <laughs> this is, yeah, you can, you can put this in the ad category of the talk now. Uh, lemur is, is starting to carry electric bases and do that whole thing. We've been talking about that for a few months, about getting some electric, electric bases in there, getting some electric base gear in there. Um, and so that's, that's exciting, I think. Um, as someone who doubles, that's exciting for me. So they will have more information about that as it gets closer, but check out lemurmusic.com. All right, so recently I was asked on Twitter, what determines who I interview? I was asked this by a guy named Paul Newman. Now, from what I gather, Paul listens to the podcast regularly and seems to be very, very aware of like other platforms that interview bass players and other musicians. I don't know him personally. I've never met Paul before. Uh, but he's always, he's always been very supportive and comments about the podcast and the episodes that come out. Uh, so, Paul, thank you for that. And everybody, every, I'm going to put Paul on blast right now. Everybody should go follow Paul on Twitter. His screen name is at Levington24. Levington. L-E-V-I-N-G-T-O-N 24. No, like right now. Like, go do it. So I'm just going to give you a minute. 24. 24 at the end. Yeah, that's it. All right. The reason I bring this up is because I love that Paul asked me the question. It's not really a secret that most of the guests on the podcast are not household bass player names, and that is 100% intentional. Personally, I'm really interested in hearing from cats that I haven't read a bunch of interviews from 
you know, or, or haven't been high profile names within the base community for the past couple decades, you know. Uh, I hope to use this platform to bring some attention to folks who have careers that I find interesting or have released albums that I find engaging, uh, you know, in hopes to connect the, the community a little better. And hopefully listeners of the podcast will get hit to some of these bass players and musicians uh, that they they would not have otherwise heard of or checked out. Uh, so, Paul, thanks again for that. And uh, thank you for your continued support uh, for listening to the podcast. That directly leads me to my guest on the episode. My guest is Kaisa Mansivu. Yeah, that's right. She definitely had to walk me through how to say that. Kaisa Mansivu is a Finnish double bass player and composer. She is currently based in Finland. Uh, Before that, she was in New York, where she finished her master's degree at the Manhattan School of Music in 2017. Uh, She studied with teachers and professors such as Dave Lieberman and Jay Anderson. Prior to moving to New York, Kaisa studied at the prestigious Syllabus Academy Jazz Department with some Finnish musicians. I'm assuming they're Finnish. I cannot pronounce their names and I'm not I'm not even going to attempt. Um, but that's a little bit of her backstory. Kaisa has been awarded multiple awards and grants. You can read more about Kaisa on her website at kaisamansivu.com. Now, what I found intriguing about Kaisa is that she leads two groups with distinctive sounds, right? So, so one group, Kaisa has is titled Kaisa's Machine, and that's a modern jazz quartet. She also leads a trio with a vibraphone player and a drummer. In that trio, she also sings and honors the jazz tradition in a different way. Her trio uh, has has much more of a straight ahead sound. Uh, Again, stop by her website. I will have links up to that at thebayshed.com backslash podcast backslash Kaisa and Sivu. And also to her Instagram page. Uh, It was a really fascinating talk. I I, I really dug listening to the sound of the two groups. She also performs with the brilliant piano player, Dave Kilkowski. That was intriguing to me. And um, overall, it was just a really, really fun, really fun talk. And here it is. Here's my chat with jazz double bassist Kaisa Mansibu. Kaisa, welcome. Thank you. So I'm interested in a couple things, actually. You have two different projects happening. You have your trio, and then you have the Kaisa machine. Both very different kind of approaches to jazz. The trio is more traditional, and you sing, and then the machine is more of a modern group. Which one started first? Um, Yeah, well... That's definitely uh, uh, that's true. Yeah, good, uh, well noted. It's it's true. They're very different. I actually um, the machine was first. Kaiser's machine was first. It was my first uh, group as a leader. Okay. That I I put it together, and I think it was 2015. And I had already written some originals. That was kind of a new thing for me. I was just, uh, that was when I was like getting into writing music. And then that kind of led to me wanting to put a group together to start playing that music. So that's like, 
I feel like Kaisa's machine uh, represents my uh, musical personality a little, little more than the trio, which is actually um, that's uh, it was a bit of a pandemic project. The trio was. I, I love, I love that. Yeah, I love the trio. It's a trio with uh, drums and vibraphone, and yeah, I sing a little bit in that too. And it's kind of like a fun, fun project. But, uh, but it was, uh, yeah, I, I actually. Um, so I, I had been living in New York and then the pandemic hit and uh, I ended up moving back to my home, Finland, for for a time that ended up being one and a half years. But, <laughs> so I felt like I wanted to do something productive with the time. And and uh, so I that's why I, I kind of like that recording together and, and actually ended up doing a lot of, lot of uh, performing too. Nice. Was that uh, like I remember when the pandemic hit in LA and there's like a bunch of a bunch of musicians just kind of split. Is that the scene in New York too? Did a bunch of musicians kind of go home oh, and totally just kind of yeah. hang to see how uh, the dust was going to settle? Yeah, yeah. I yeah. uh, I mean, it's it's totally yeah. Everyone disappeared, and I think it's still kind of um, well, especially I feel like the my uh euro friends like more like uh even more like the, all the europeans left and and i feel like uh, a lot of a lot of those people who left haven't really come back like a lot of people left right good and of course in new york there's always a new new bunch of new new musicians yeah, yeah there's so, always there's always young blood showing up <laughs> yeah. uh how about you are you do you plan on returning to new york yeah, I um I went back there about a year ago when they opened the borders again. So it was I was able to get in. So I right, right. I went back pretty soon after that and then then I was there until the summer and then normally I spent summers in Europe anyway since it's like a nice time to be here and do the festivals and stuff. And then went back in the fall, but now I'm in Europe again for a couple of tours. Okay. Okay. So yeah, I'm. Uh, I guess people say in the U.S. you can be bi-coastal, but I'm more like I don't know what I am. Like, <laughs> yeah, both sides, both sides of the Atlantic. <laughs> yeah, something like that. <laughs> uh, so back to these groups. The the machine is more of a modern thing, and that's when you started writing. So who were the who were the early influences that were impacting your your approach to writing? I love I love Kurt. I love Kurt Rosenwinkel. Mm-hmm. writing he's a uh, he's definitely one of the compositional uh, heroes of mine and i mean instrumentalists obviously too um and i think i was listening to a lot of seamus blake and he's he's recording and playing those tunes with some friends and stuff so those are like yeah kind of like the modern mainstream influences of mine nice nice um and then what what were you hoping to do different? Like when you have this, when you put your group together, what were you looking to do different? Were you trying to investigate some new sounds? Is that still something you're thinking about doing with the group? You know, instead of just repeating things you were hearing or devices in that these composers use, like, okay, well, I like when they do that, so I'm going to do that. But what were you looking to do different compositionally? Uh, yeah, it's a nice question. I, I, uh, think i think it kind of happened organically like i didn't have to think about it that much 
I do, uh, when I'm listening to something, I do tend to get like influences and actually sometimes use like some of uh, some other people's ideas to start to build something my own. But, but I feel like, uh, for me, it's like, it just kind of happens more naturally where it just becomes a thing of my own rather than doing it. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying I'm doing anything that original. It's pretty hard today. Yeah, uh, I know. To, I know. <laughs> to create anything that original, but. Yeah, because someone like, can uh, listen to anything and be like, oh, that sounds like this and yeah. that combined. Everything is just right. one or two things. Yeah. Uh, but then so leading to getting into the trio project, had you already been singing? Was that something you just started to investigate for yourself or were you already a trained vocalist or what, what's your history as a vocalist? Um, I've been doing it for fun, kind of... Um just kind of randomly here and there. I did take some voice lessons when I was studying at the Manhattan School of Music. Okay. Um, I had like uh, some spare electives, you know, so that I could use and I used them for the voice lessons, which was really fun and interesting. And it's pretty fascinating how the voice works as an instrument. And I'm really just like beginning to understand anything, like anything about it. But but I have been singing and playing in this. Uh, it's a quartet with uh, with three other vocalists. It's a it's a group called Singne, and it's so it's three singers and me on bass and voice. Oh wow! And it's just a, it's um, a good friend of mine who put that group together. It's more like on the I don't know if I like the word avant garde, but it's more on the like freer side of okay. of, uh, of things. It's twentieth like century. Group. Is it improvised? Is there improvisational elements, or is yeah, it composed? Yeah, a lot composed? of improvisation. Okay, but also also a lot of like through through composed stuff. But all of the singers are like jazz, like educated, jazz educated. So okay, so there's that language, but then like the actual material is not very traditional. But but so that was the the um, singer who put that group together. She kind of. Uh, made me you know she wanted me to uh you got roped into it yeah (laughs) exactly yeah and so first it started as like doing backgrounds and doing like harmonies with the band but then then i actually got some of my own solo stuff too and i i realized like this is actually pretty fun who what material do you play in that group do they write their own material is it kind of all inclusive like that yeah, it's um, two of the people in the group write, write for that specific group. It's a pretty uh, challenging instrumentation in a way. Yeah. There's three female or four female voices and then bass, which is like all the way at the bottom of the range. And then right. the voice, uh, voices are up high. So it's like there's a lot of stuff missing kind of in the middle. Yeah. But I like the concepts. And so we have other like com- commissions i guess like people write for that other people write for that group okay as well cool uh what years were you at manhattan school so i did an exchange from 2014 to 2015 okay and then after that exchange year i wanted to stay as uh, some of my professors already told me in the beginning of the year like this is gonna happen to you you're not gonna want to go back home you're gonna stay in new york so why don't you just start like, you know, kind of uh, doing that out. exchanges yeah. that, yeah, like doing those stuff as you would be in the degree program. But 
I was like, no, nah, I want to go back to Finland. Like, I love, I love <laughs> But yeah, then I, I did end up wanting to stay, but then I was missing certain, uh, like, credits, I guess. Okay. So the easiest way to do that was to go back home and finish my bachelor's at my home school, which was um, this uh, school called Spellius Academy in Helsinki. And so I had to stay there for a full year. And then um, during that year, I applied to do the actual program at MSM. And so went back there uh, 2016. Okay. Graduated 2017. Who'd you, who'd you study with there? They had um, Jay Anderson mm-hmm. and Harvey S. Okay. Yeah. They, they, um, the, it's funny how the base faculty has changed. Since then? Yeah. Now they have like, well, they had Larry Ridley back then okay you know this guy he's uh he's i guess a little obscure but he's on that lee morgan album uh cornbread boy yeah, yeah yeah he was there somehow i wasn't really hit i wasn't hip enough to like know about him i like I didn't, <laughs> no, and no one else no one was studying with him where i don't know what whatever reason that was but but somehow he was just kind of forgotten and then so yeah i did most of most of my studies I did with Jay and then a little bit with Harvey S. But now they have now they have Ron and they have uh, Buster Williams uh, there too. Right, right. And uh, yeah, it's pretty great. Yeah. yeah, sweet. When did you start playing? When? Yeah. I was I was uh, fourteen, I think. Okay. Right in right into double bass, or did you start on electric? No, I went right into the upright i was playing uh piano i started on piano when i was six i was playing okay. classical piano and also also a little bit of uh like other kinds of music but yeah then went straight to the upright that's uh that's an interesting jump for a 14 year old to go <laughs> to go from piano right to right to the double bass what uh what was that like did someone suggest it did you fill in at the school orchestra on it and then just stuck with it or a family member play it? Or did you hear something like, what was the, what was the impetus to make the jump? I think if I remember right, I was kind of like getting, getting fed up with the piano. <laughs> yeah. I love music. <laughs> like I really loved music and I loved kind of doing my, I would play for fun and kind of do more. Like I would, always collect these charts where they have like chords and stuff where I could do like something kind of more free than like read a class piece of classical music. So, but somehow I was getting a little tired of going to the piano lessons and practicing the stuff. So maybe that's where it started. Okay. Just burnout. Like, it started uh, as burnout. Yeah. Burnt out. Yeah. yeah. Just needed something else. But as a composer, um, I'm sure you, baby. I'm sure you appreciate the piano training when you got into composition. Oh my gosh, so much. Yeah, it's yeah. super, it's so useful. Yeah. Right. Uh, have you pursued, you know, educating yourself in jazz piano or anything since leaving the classical instruction? I did, yeah. I actually came back soon after. Like, I just had a little break and then I was ready to play play some piano again. So yeah, I did I did a bunch of class, or like jazz jazz studies too. Okay. Like a side instrument but back to the how i how i uh 
found the base. It was um, it's like this TV show where they where there's like a jury and they watch new music videos and kind of judge them. <laughs> so they judge and the new was, music videos, like yeah, like a singing competition, like American Idol, but it's for videos. Yes. Okay. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if that exists in America. A, I, I've never oh, yeah. known of it in America, but that doesn't mean anything because I don't watch TV that much. Right. Yeah, I guess it's kind of a cool concept. It's, yeah. I don't think they even do that here anymore, but... Okay. But they had a... Um, I don't know if you know this band. Uh, I think it's Irish. It's like a folk band called The Course. The Course? The Course. They're, they're like five siblings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Playing kind of acoustic. Yeah. Yeah, the dude that uh, cut those um, records is a friend of mine. The bass player on those records. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But. Because I think they, at least on that music video, they had a female, one of the sisters was playing bass. Yeah, that makes sense for the video. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That makes a lot more sense for the video than than having Lance on it. (laughs) That's funny. Um, so yeah, I mean that, that kind of changed my world. I was like, really, <laughs> actually I could do that. That looks so cool. So she was playing upright. Like, uh, huh? She was playing upright on the video and that was it. And right. then you're she just like, I'm going to do this. She can play upright. Yeah. I can play upright. Yeah. <laughs> 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 All right. All right. So you get inspired by the music video. And then what do you do? You, do you rent a base? Does the school have a base? Where do you? My school had a base. My okay. school had a base. And I got to try it immediately. Uh, they were, uh, yeah, it's, I guess, like you said, it's kind of a, uh, not the most common thing for, for a teenager to, <laughs> to play Yeah, to show okay. interest so in, yeah. They were excited. And they, yeah, <laughs> they gave me the base to try right away. And luckily it wasn't like the worst ever base. I mean, not like I remember that. That's Clearly, shocking. But Coming from a school base, like most school bases, you know, the strings haven't been changed in 35 years. The action's a mile and a right. half high, you know. Right, On top of that, already... it's all, it's just a piece of crap to begin with. And then it's got a terrible setup and old strings. Yeah. So how's anyone going to get like <laughs> yeah, right. excited about playing the bass? Yeah, exactly. That's actually kind of a thing. Like, I don't know how they would think young players would stick with this instrument when the the instrument is so uninspiring to play. You know, they right. sound bad and they're like, I mean, just starting, as you know, when you just start playing upright, it's, it's so defeating, <laughs> you know, it's because it's such a physical instrument and you don't know all the mechanics yet. And you're still figuring it out. So already the instrument is kind of defeating, let alone a bad right. instrument on top of it. Oof. But you did it. Yeah. You stuck it out. I did it. I and I all think right. I, I got lucky with the bass. Yeah, it must have been like some kind of like an okay, an okay. okay condition for me to be able to, you know, enjoy getting some notes out of it. And I remember that, like getting just like finding the just playing some open strings and and like getting like a getting. I mean, I don't know what kind of sound I got out of it, but like a sure. sound. Right, right. So, producing so really some nice. version of a sound. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, I've that's I've always just loved the acoustic sound of the bass. Uh, yeah, same. Was it the school band director that was giving you private instruction, or was there did you get into lessons with it pretty quick? They well, so actually, in the music school where, where I was taking the classical lessons, they they had one bass teacher that would come in like once a week, 
Okay. And I, so I got to take lessons with her. Um, turned out that was also like classical bass. Okay. I didn't really, I didn't, because in the music video, you know, she was playing, she was using a bow. So I wasn't expecting <laughs> to get a bow. <laughs> yeah, well, you know. <laughs> yeah. Sure. So I was, I was a little disappointed when they handed me the bow. Uh-huh. Um, you, you just wanted to be in the video. You just wanted to be <laughs> the woman in the music video. Yeah, and play, you know, pluck the string. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. The pop songs that are hits. Yeah. Uh, what they give you, French or German? Which one did you learn on? German. Okay. You and, still play uh, German? Yeah I, yeah, I do. Yeah. What about you? Uh, I play German also. I was talking with the bass player yesterday that plays French, and uh, we were talking about how that happens, how we just kind of gravitate towards one. And why that is like we were investigating that idea. Like he he had played violin previously, so the the overhand grip was more natural to him. Uh, but there's something about when I when I was starting playing upright, like I had a teacher that had me check them both out and taught me the grips, and I just the French grip felt foreign to me. Like the underhanded German grip felt a lot na- more natural. Right. I I mean I guess everyone's always going to de- defend the, their choice, but I yeah. think you can. You can uh, really get more of the hand weight naturally on the German. Yeah, like we, don't have we to, talked you about don't have to, like, that. Yeah. yeah, right. We were talking about that because just the nature of the arm and like since it's a big pulling motion, you know, the weight of your arm, it seems like that's more intuitive to me when you when you're taught to relax your arm and pull from the weight of your arm and all that and not the just the grip. That's more intuitive to me with the underhand grip versus on top where. But then I could also see that because then the weight of your arm is going down into the bow and down into the string. Right. Yeah. I so, that. you know, uh, I guess it's I, it's probably really just like whatever you learn on. Yeah. Whatever, and, and whatever you learn on or whatever, whatever feels the most natural to you, then you just stick with yeah. that. Um, right. I don't think I know anybody that plays both at the same level. I think everybody I know has a preference to one. Right. Um, but it's a fascinating thing. Why, why people like, I'm almost like the psychology behind why people choose the bow that they do. It's interesting to me. Yeah. And also like at the point when you choose, you don't really know that much. Like it's pretty yeah. much just like maybe what's available or what your teacher is doing. Like, Right. It's not really a super educated decision at that point. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not an educated decision at all. Nothing nothing I was doing at that point in my playing was educated, you know, let alone yeah. choosing what style of bow. Uh so you go through fundamental classical training. You're getting just learning the instrument with the bow and sound production and intonation and all that stuff. Right. Yeah, I did a lot of that in the first first few years. And then at what point did you get into jazz? That was, um, well, I had been, uh, I, I guess I had been hearing some jazz at home. My mom would play these couple recordings she had, and then she would always take me to, so I grew up in this smaller town, an hour north of, of Helsinki, the capital, but they would have, so they have these like government funded uh, jazz tours that I'm actually starting one. On Monday, it's like a two-week tour that takes you all over the 
country. And, and nice. I guess the idea is to bring uh, jazz to even the more like remote kind of small towns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's cool. So, yeah, so there would be those tours would always come to that town where I grew up. And then we would always go see or hear, hear those shows. So I'm sure that had a bit of an influence on me. And that's also like where I already saw some bass players live. But I think it with the chorus, it was just like, it was really important that it was a woman playing with bass. Because I I just didn't think of it as a, I guess I just, it just didn't like. Right. My mind, who were who were some of those role models for you besides the music video <laughs> and the woman in the course? <laughs> who are who are some female role model bass players for you? I should really find out what's her name, actually. Yeah. <laughs> From the yeah. music video. Yeah. But um, she was, I I mean I she probably doesn't even know how to play the bass, like at all. You know, <laughs> yeah, she's right. just playing along, yeah. you know. She had some lesson to learn how to get through that song well enough on camera. That's hilarious. <laughs> but but then she inspired your whole career. <laughs> it's hilarious. Well done. <laughs> um, but um, other female bass players, I I I mean, there aren't that many. Esperanza was the first was the first first one that I mm-hmm. I kind of found and checked out and then i love window she's mm-hmm. she's definitely someone i admire sure it seems like there's a lot of not a lot i mean like percentage wise from like male bass players to female bass players there's not a lot but there's i think esperanza has inspired quite a few of a younger generation especially as vocalists too you know and and making that thing yeah approachable right there are there are definitely more more female bass players coming coming up and i think it it's just it's just like really it has a huge impact when you see see sure. uh, when as a girl you see someone you see a woman playing the bass it's just somehow important to right. like see that actually understand that you can do it too right right was it it was just that simple right just like when you saw the woman playing the bass it was like oh yeah it's possible I think so. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right uh, so you were in piano when you were young. Were any is anybody else in your family musical? My mom plays piano. Yeah, she's okay. still just for a hobby, not not as a profession. Okay, um, but and and from from her side, there's some musicality there. Okay, but no, nobody's a pro. No. Um, the reason I ask is because the fact that your mother played, or it could have been you know anybody in your family, but now that you mentioned it was your mother, was that, did that not have the same inspiration to you? Sorry, say that again. You're like, your your mother's playing. So like, clearly you grew up in an environment where like women playing music is possible, you know, because you grew up in it. Uh, but what was it about seeing a woman play the bass that, that seemed to really do the trick? What, what was it about the bass that wanted you to make you start playing the instrument and kind of empowered you to go on this path? Seems like a very impactful. I'm gonna have to track down this music video. This this music video is life changing yeah. cinema. Right. Yeah. I, yeah, I I would actually want to see that again too. Now, Do you remember now the song? You, uh, no. I, I think they only had a couple hits. Like that was a short lived band. Hold on, I'm gonna look it up while we're talking. <laughs> that uh, yeah, what was were... that like? Late 90s, 
I'm trying to think of when they were. Uh, yeah, something like that. Or, or no, it must be like early 2000s. I'm born in 90s. Yeah, that makes so. sense. Yeah. 20, probably 20, 13, 14. They were, yeah, the siblings were like all over. It was like maybe it was like a barn or something. And they were just like placed in different locations with the instruments. And There's four of them. They were active from, <laughs> this is turning into a the Coors Research Project. This is hilarious. <laughs> They're an Irish family. Right. Uh, pop rock and traditional Irish music. Uh, basically from 1990 to 2015. So that might have been their peak. Yeah, that's that's kind of when they're uh, on the way out. Trying to find where the hits are. Did you ever own any of the records? Because it's giving me record names. Oh, no, I don't think I even did. Okay. Really? You didn't even buy the record? <laughs> like, I'm surprised you wouldn't want to buy the record. Yeah. <laughs> Hilarious. This whole thing is funny to me. Yeah, I think it's like still the... Like it was never that it was never really the the music they played. Sure, you know? I mean uh, that that makes hundred percent sense. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. So here's Breathless Radio. What can I do? Runaway Dreams. Irresistible. Uh, all the love in the world. So young. And then Una Noche. Irresistible rings bell, but I can't. I need to go back and and. Uh... Yeah, I'm gonna look this up. Yeah. I remember them having like one or two really, really big hits. Right. Yeah. They were they were big at that time. Yeah. Or yeah, I guess just for a short moment. I mean, that's enough. They're probably still making money off it. I mean, we're still talking about them, so they're clearly influential. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'm gonna I'll finish my research project later. So it was something about this woman playing the bass that inspired you to play the bass. Okay, have you have you reflected on that to to think about what was that what was that it was a new instrument that you hadn't played it, it empowered you to pursue this career as a musician and completely switch instruments because it wasn't like you saw a piano player that was you know your age doing something it was there's a really heavy moment for you this music video <laughs> yeah 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 I um I, I it, I'm sure it had something to do with it also that I, I that I had seen um some jazz bands playing live like kind okay. of there was like some some interest towards the music. I mean they were all they were all uh dudes that I saw playing live and and uh, there's nothing wrong with that but I'm sure that's sure. what I just didn't really it, it, I couldn't really understand that it, it would be something for me so so but there was yeah there was a little bit of a uh, little bit of interest towards the the music already and i and i also remember i had this just general i guess it's maybe it's like a teenager thing where you kind of want to be doing something different like i want yeah, of course to, like whether it's like clothing or 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 your hobbies or something but you like some some like i definitely had this thing where i kind of wanted to do the i think that's totally that normal yeah yeah you're yeah. just trying to establish your identity and being unique and you know so right. most people just hop on this kind of bandwagon of being a contrarian and whatever everybody else is doing i'm going to do the opposite because you know i'm unique and i need to go even though I Something think it, like that. at that age, no one knows who they are. They're just, you have to go through this process of figuring it out. 
Yeah. All right. So that that's actually fascinating that the base is that tied to your just kind of adulthood development. Yeah. It's fascinating. So what what were the records that you had heard, like jazz records that you were checking out that were really that you'd revisit a lot, you know, for music inspiration before you were really, really getting into jazz and studying harmony and rhythm and all that stuff. Right. Well, before I really got into it, it was, I think we just had a couple of like really, really classic record records at home, like kind of flew okay. and some cold train and blue train, like some of those like really classic recordings. And, um, my mom would play those at the house. It's not that I would really like stop and listen. They were kind of just playing in the background. And sometimes like after I had picked up the bass and I went to lessons, I, I started to like kind of try, try to hear the bass more. Like even right. that was kind of hard in the beginning, like starting like separating that sound from the other instruments and like trying to hear what the bass is doing. Yeah. And, and on um, some of the recordings, like the recordings are just not recording. Yeah, well, you know, so we like that's difficult basic. too. Yeah. We have some old count basic recordings too. And that's like sound quality is just so crappy. Like, right. Yeah, it's hard to hard to hear that. And then uh, it was hard. Like I wasn't super into it. It was more like, well, I guess now that I'm playing this instrument, I should kind of like <laughs> try to try to understand like the role of it and stuff. Right. But then, yeah, that was that was kind of like when I was still like before my high school and and when I got to like music schools and stuff. And that's when I like really really got into it. Was in at the music school. Right, yeah. So I moved to Helsinki, and I I got to do this program, so like a jazz conservatory, like music school level. But okay. while I was going to high school, I could do that program. Nice. And I got like a real jazz bass teacher, and a lot of yeah. I just started to listen to a lot more recordings. I think for me, like um, something that really really hit me was the. Miles second quintet, just hearing Ron do those. Sure. Um, yeah, I mean that's crazy, like rearms. I mean, yeah, yeah, that was that's just and it's, and it's still like something every, all the I plug found. nickel records are like the best recordings ever. Yeah, those are my and favorites. That's some, yeah, definitely that's some stuff I still always go back to, and and um, it was just I feel like it was kind of important that at that point I already knew something about the music, like. And I was able to play, I knew Autumn Leaves and like, I guess it helps to understand what's going on. And then, sure. then you're like, well, this is the chord that's on the chart that I've learned, but wait, what is this guy doing? Like, it's yeah, yeah. out of this world. <laughs> right. Yeah. That was like, I had a similar response, like being young and starting to get into studying the music and listening to Bill Evans and like, okay, <laughs> what, <laughs> what's going on here? Like, all these roles, uh, that's, you know, they don't teach me to play like that. You know, this whole conversation, right. soloistic thing. And so it took me quite a while to then even just learn all the individuality of sounds and approach and, you know, what what's possible outside of just doing your role. Right. And that's what's so fascinating about jazz. Like, and that's what really got me, got me into it. Like, just realizing that it's actually a lot of freedom and a lot of your own things you can do you can be so creative in in a inside the format i guess yeah yeah i mean freedom within form that's the whole deal with it um yeah. 
Now, having two different groups that are very distinct, distinctly different sounding and approaches to it, how do how does each group change the way you play? I mean, with if you forget about the like, well, you know, <laughs> the modern thing is more even and the, the traditional thing is more swung, like, you know, forget the approach to the eighth note. But how does it line development and how you're going to respond and all that stuff? I, I don't I mean, one thing that I do and I write is I, I actually um, just like we talked in the beginning, I do a lot of writing on the piano. Mm-hmm. And so, so that's how I sometimes um, end up writing something a little challenging for the bass. You know, when sure. it's like when I, if I write something on the piano and then it doesn't sit on the bass that well, so it's like I, I kind of like that challenge. Now, like um, recently, when I've been writing, I, I feel like I my writing has already changed a lot since the first album that I did with the with the machine but uh and i do it more on the bass actually i i uh try to come up with amps and melodies and bass lines more on the bass so that it's it's like kind a of little more, bit more natural to play right yeah but then there's also also like um i, I kind of like the idea that you just actually write what you hear without being limited by the instrument sure so that's what i like about doing everything on the piano right right so uh, but that's you're still writing what you hear it's just it's coming out on a piano and you can play it on piano <laughs> so it's like here is your piano right. palette is your piano facility like your left hand uh more comfortable to get around than uh, as it would lay on the bass like what you play in your left hand on the piano just doesn't sit well on the bass and isn't natural to like hand positions and stuff Right, that's the thing. Like sometimes uh, on the piano, you might write like some crazy intervals that just don't don't really make sense in the bass, or or uh, or even yeah. I guess it's really about the like some some jumps that just aren't natural. In the yeah, bass. just geometry of the bass thing. Right. But as far as uh, just playing, just playing in the groups, like do you? do you still have a similar approach or do you try to like tweak how you approach the music based on, well, this is more modern, that's more traditional. So I'm going to speak more of a traditional vocabulary versus a modern, well, you know, kind of the gloves are off. I can go wherever I want to. Oh yeah. I see what you mean. It's uh, I, I think actually not so much. It's really, uh, um, it's just, uh, I don't think about that so much. It's true. The, if, if the context is, is different it, it might change and it's probably could sound different but it's not something i i would really think that much but yeah obviously if there's a more like a standard type tune like a confirmation or, or whatever we i would play with the trio yeah we would do some uh arrangements of tunes like if i uh didn't know what time it was then or stuff like that and then when you have all these few vibes and changes it's it kind of, of course, makes you play a certain way. Whereas yeah. if you have more open, open sounds and different types of chords, it is it just kind of automatically creates probably a little different sound. But not that I would think about it so much. It's really just happens in the in the moment. I'm fascinated to speak to someone in Finland 
about European jazz because as an American, right, like our Intuit is obviously the ECM label. And so, like, if you go to just clubs in Finland, is this just how people play? Is everybody doing the kind of really pastel, shifting colors, ECM thing with not a lot of tension and release and not a lot of blues in it? And it's very just that European sound. Is that is that common over there? It's common. It's funny how actually Finland kind of sticks out from the at least the other Scandinavian countries. Because we have a we have more of a straight ahead scene here, which is interesting. I think it has a lot to do with the school and just this uh, one or two guys really who who kind of uh, uh, studied and grew up in in New York and were part of the scene over there for some time, and then decided to start the school to kind of like make sure that they have people to play with when they are fifty years old. So this okay. happened. Uh, 70s or 80s and then and ever that school it's really small department and that's where i did my undergrad but it's just like five people a year oh wow but total it's like one one yeah wow. like one one band yeah i mean the cool thing about that is you get a lot of attention from the right the and they have uh yeah it's good and they have a lot of funding they just have they have great visitors all the time they brought dave pifoski this week here i did a tour with him here and then he did some teaching at the school and they always bring like a ton of ton of people from the u.s to do like master classes and some teaching yeah and so so here it's really and the clubs are pretty pretty straight ahead oriented and really not all of them but it is really uh quite quite like that but then when it goes to sweden or norway i think it changes a lot okay then it's kind of varies different countries have like then again i feel like copenhagen has a pretty strong straight ahead scene they also have a lot of more free avant-garde stuff right so it's it's kind of varies but there is uh there's definitely a lot more of that uh open ecm vibe yeah here than in new york for example yeah yeah i could definitely see that new york's its own thing <laughs> uh you yeah. you just mentioned it you did a tour with uh kakowski you've been doing a little bit of touring him with him for a decent amount of time right like this wasn't a one-off tour is my question right yeah we've done some playing not 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 a crazy amount but um yeah we've done some playing together how'd you uh how'd you get involved let's see how did that go i i was um well he's always he's he's playing a lot around New York, he's doing mm-hmm. a lot of club dates, and you can really you can hear him a lot actually. And he's he's a nice guy, and we've I've I've sat in with him a couple of times and played in a jam session, and just like seeing him around all the time. Okay. And then uh, then I think that the first gig we did together was um, I had him play with my band actually. I played at Falls with the Crazy Machine, and then I had him on that gig. So that was, I think, the first gig we did together. And okay. then later we were um, we were in the same we were playing on the same festival. And then he needed a he needed a bass player in his trio, kind of last minute. And I was around. So that's what how, what happened? That's how. What happened to his bass player? He, I don't know. What I think happened is he got the gig. Some other pianist uh, had to bail, kind of last minute. Oh yeah, and I remember. There was some health 
issue with some other pianist, and then okay. then they uh, got Dave, and then he needed okay. someone. I see. Kind of around. So it was kind of okay. like in my mind, they had booked David and then like his bass player just went absent and he needed a bass player. Like, I mean, who's this guy? That and, can like, too. <laughs> yeah, it could totally happen, but it's, yeah, uh, I, you would hope not that yeah, that would be the not, case. But yeah. Also with flights being kind of crazy this summer and everything, right. like you never know. Right. And COVID still kind of being around too. So yeah, things happen. And then it's always kind of sad for someone that's to cancel, but then then it's those are kind of like opportunities always then for someone else. Yeah. Yeah. So you got to play with him there and then it's just been a you guys have just been doing gigs since? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we've been we've been doing some playing and and now just this past week, um he was uh invited here to Finland um by this one festival and then uh, I was able to, I was able to hook up some other other stuff around it too. So it was kind of like a collab. Nice, nice. What have you learned? Like he's clearly a veteran. Uh, what have you learned from playing with him? Like not even like verbally, but just just playing with him. What have you learned? Or I mean, if it's been verbal and he's talked about it, but I think I know. Like most of my musician friends, when we're on a gig, we don't ever talk about music. You know, like you don't ever talk about music on a gig, and I'm sure it's the same with most other people. You just it happens at the music, and then once you're off stage, you're off stage. Yeah, yeah, that's I, I like that too. It's, yeah, I used to do that like as a student. You would like really want to talk through every little yeah, mistakes yeah. everybody made. <laughs> yeah. But I'm so glad that's like yeah, anyway. yeah. We could leave that leave that in the youth. I don't want to talk about it. Like you know, yeah. <laughs> unless something funny happened and I can make fun of somebody about it, there's no point in talking about it. <laughs> well his energy is insane it's mm. like out of this world he it doesn't matter what kind of instrument you have or or where you're playing or what the audience is like or what happened before the gig or it's just like he is always just 110 percent. oh wow it's pretty it's pretty amazing so that's that's uh, something I'm I'm jealous of, like or just admiring that. Is that something you've had to kind of check yourself on? Is like where your head's at, and like how that impacts your level of commitment to the music? Because if you're around him all the time and he's just giving 110 percent to the music, and you're witnessing that, if it were me, I'd be like, ah, what's wrong with me? How come I'm not? Like you know, I gotta kind of get my head right before I go out on stage, so I can be capable of doing the same thing. He he just draws you with him like there's no other way like I it's just with playing with Dave like it's just you're on you're uh, just taking like a ride you know it's uh, I didn't with playing with him I would never it would just totally like pull his energy would just pull you, pull you like with 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 him but for like other situations then I it's something i thought about like how to kind of keep that like when mm-hmm. right. dave is not there to yeah, help yeah. you out, you know like how to how to create that and how to maybe try to bring like to affect other musicians too and try to like bring them to that energy level yeah um have, is that something you're also like been conscious of when leading your own groups is to like show up and just be this energetic force to really, you know, steer the music that way. 
it is. Yeah, I always think it's really important to be able to put put on like a good good show. Jazz is already like such a niche, and sometimes hard to can be challenging to listen for for like a regular yeah audience member. And I agree. And so I feel like that it's really important to to really put your mind into it when you're actually performing, and and uh, that's what can that's what what can make a change like it's not that the listener is gonna understand what you necessarily like the notes or the rehearsal you just played or, or whatever right, right. It was. but the, the energy i think they can really sense and feel yeah and so I, it is really important and as a leader i think it it's kind of uh it comes naturally when you're when you know that you're responsible of everything and you're you're like kind of leading the band and and it's uh it's like a certain energy when you're a leader does that come natural to you being the leader and and doing that thing you know because i remember like the first couple gigs i led it, it did not come natural and i don't even know if it still comes natural or not uh i don't feel as awkward i know that but the first ones were just like uh what do you want to play and everybody's staring at me like dude it's your gig you know, I'm like, eh, I don't know. You know, I was, I was just so uncomfortable. Uh, is that something that comes natural to you? Is leading the band and giving direction and calling the shots? I think now, now it does. First, I definitely had some hard, hardnesses too, but, but now it's more natural, and I love that I'm able to take the responsibility of what we're gonna play and mm -hmm. in what order, and, and I really love to be on, super on top of everything. Because especially in New York, after doing, it's something that doesn't happen so much in the Finnish scene. But like like the pickup gigs where you uh, play with a kind of whoever shows up on the gig, you don't even know who's gonna be there. Or right, you're, you're just play. calling tunes, yeah. Yeah, right. and so that's uh, that's like more not nerve wracking, but like it's harder for me. Like I like to be a little more prepared and know what I'm gonna go do. And because sometimes it's even, I mean, of course, it's like a background gig. It doesn't matter. But but I feel like it's even like you could just, you could play at smalls and just like show up in five minutes before you hit, you get like some charts in yeah, front yeah. of you and then you're just going to have to kill it. And it's, I like the challenge, but but I also also like to be prepared. I, I kind of like that the best when you just show up and they hand you charts because you, you know, you know, maybe they had time to send it out. Maybe they didn't. If it's just, you know, everybody meeting there for the first time, but not too much is required of you. You know what I mean? Like you still have to do your job and play the music well, but the bar's low. If I had had the music That's for true. a week and a half, then like, dude, there's <laughs> no reason that you, that you should be, you know, getting lost on this. Uh, but if they just hand it to me and it's some weird, you know, 13-8 thing with two codas and, you know, it's a train wreck of a chart. Like, all right, dude, well, whatever. <laughs> this yeah. is on you. <laughs> like, this, I'm like I'm, I have no responsibility here really to nail this. Uh, yeah. I mean, I wish I could every time in those settings, but uh, I, I haven't always. And when they just hand you the music, it's like, all right, well, let's just see what happens. So right. I don't, I don't yeah, mind that sure. as much. But I do yeah. feel like there's a weird thing from going from bands or situations that are super prepared and then going to the gigs where you have no idea who's going to be on the gig or what you're going to play. That's nerve wracking. Just making those jumps, because if you do a bunch of gigs where it's 
You have no idea who's going to be there, what you're going to play. Fine. All right. We'll just get through it. It's fine. And then you get called for something that's super prepared. You're like, oh, wow. Like, I don't, I'm not used to preparing for gigs. Usually I just show up. But then when you're doing the prepared thing and you have to show up to the one that's super loose, like it, it's, it's an interesting mindset to jump back and forth between. Right. I feel like that's the whole freelance yeah. life. Like, it's just, you never know what's ahead of you. Like, and every, every day, every week is so different. And, yeah. and uh, it's just, you never know. Right. Truly, just always like kind of have to be kind of ready for a, a, an adventure. Which I mean, I like the variety of it. You know, that's always for fun. Sure. Uh, what do you got coming up? What's what's on the horizon? Well, now I'm doing this Jazz Federation tour uh, that I mentioned earlier. It's like a yeah. two week tour around okay. Finland. We're playing the saxophone player Max Zinger's music. Um, actually, just released an album today. I think it came out. Cool. Are you so on the record? Like an album. Yeah. Nice. Like an album release tour. And after that, I'm heading back to New York. Okay. And we'll be there until next March, I think. Well, okay. I mean, yeah, some some travel, but but not not nothing crazy. Hold on. Next March is that March 2024 or March 2023? Oh no, 23. Okay. Okay. So you'll be there to March. That's a that's a healthy amount of time. Yeah, I'm looking forward to to actually being there. I mean that's 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 a extended state. Like you have an apartment over there. How how can you just? Oh yeah, I have a place. I okay. I just got a new place, and uh, it's uh, not 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 super ready yet. But yeah, I'll I'm planning on on uh, on staying there for staying there more now. Nice, nice. And then so, what's the scene like in Finland though? Like, is it creatively inspiring, and can you make a living in Finland? Yeah. The, um, everything is funded pretty well. You have a lot of grants for the arts and and jazz, and and you have a good amount of performance opportunities. I think. I mean, it's still a really small country, and and there is how many people? Like, how big like is it? I don't know anything about it's, it. It's five and a half million, so it's tiny. Oh wow! Wow. Okay. It's really tiny. Yeah. Um. So considering that, it's like a, I would think it's pretty pretty healthy jazz scene. Okay. And you can make a living. Gigs pay generally a lot better here. And, and then so in the don't, states, don't, right? You don't have to do. You can do four four gigs a month and, and live live oh off my of that. Gosh. But yeah, of course, amazing. that can get a little boring. <laughs> it's amazing, but yeah, it, it gets gets uh, pretty limited after some time. Yeah, but I mean the, I mean this is you know I, I'm sure you know like the, the classic musician thing. Whatever you're not doing, you always want to be doing. So like pre-pandemic, I was doing like a solid amount of gigs. Like I was working a lot, but then like that has its own the thing. Then I was just getting burnt out on like doing the same types of gigs, or you know, like my playing got stale because it was just like. All right, here we go. What, who's on this one? Great, fine. You know, you, like you stopped caring because it was so routine. So right. if they were if they're spread out more, then you it gives you kind of something to look forward to. You can prepare. You can make sure you're on on your game. You know, you have you have time and headspace to practice and still stay creative within yourself. Um, right. So I mean, that seems like the silver lining for that thing is because. 
it's super easy to get burnt out. At least it was for me here in LA, like just playing all the time, which was great. And all the musicians were fantastic, but it's just like, it was paint by numbers after a while. It's like, all right, here's another one. And that, that sucked. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's actually, you don't have to do any, you don't like have to do any kind of like gigs you don't want to do necessarily right. here. Like that's, that's the dream. Can, yeah. <laughs> and then, and then you, it's, it's great to have the time in between. You're right. It's like you, you can really, you have more time to be creative and, 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 uh, write your own music and and actually there is a huge original music scene here it's like everyone everyone has their own band and are putting out music and uh, on like and within they, creative music and within improvised music or just in general on the scene like everybody's a singer songwriter that way yeah, or like across uh, the board meant, everybody's a, a creator i think more on the on the jazz or improvised music scene okay the somehow that's still like the singer i was just uh i was hanging out earlier today with my singer songwriter friend who's uh, like struggling a little bit like it's it's that they don't have that much funding in that like they don't see the you know the grant suppliers don't see that kind of music as as such an like an art form as jazz or interesting or yeah that's so kind of a bummer as much funding yeah it's really I mean, if you think about it just from like a business sense, which I don't know how any of that works when it comes to government grants and stuff, funding the artist specifically or directly. Uh, but just from a business sense, like singer songwriter or any kind of music with lyrics is automatically going to sell better and probably have more of an influence than a you know trio or quartet playing in for improvised stuff at least in the States, like it's, it's the complete opposite, you know, like no one cares, you know, about jazz. In well, LA. well, that's exactly why they don't, don't have to fund it because they see it as something that already is. Oh, know, it's self-sustainable already. So right, they don't, it doesn't exactly. need assistance. So, I got it. Okay. Yeah. And there is like some truth to that for sure. Like jazz would probably be fairly pretty non-existent if there wasn't all that support. Sure. Um, sure. Any new records coming down the uh, the pike with either of your groups? I'm recording in December in New York with with Nice. Nice. I have a whole new set of new music. Yeah, I can't wait for that. Same guys, same group. Oh, it'll be it'll be New York guys. Yeah. Okay. Who's who's in the band? Um, I'll reveal that later. Oh, oh. <laughs> so, <laughs> so either it's not locked in yet. <laughs> That's probably what I would say. If like, well, I'm still waiting for an email back from the drummer. I don't know if he's going to do it or not. Uh, all right. All right. All right. That's fair. Look forward to. So you're recording it in December. What's your projected release date on that? Uh, it'll be in spring of 23. Okay, that's that's a pretty quick turnaround. Yeah, yeah, May May twenty three is the is the goal for now. Okay, okay. Uh, how many tunes? It'll be eight tunes. Eight tunes, all all original. Yeah, all my originals. Do you ever uh, do covers or like do an arrangement of a standard or anything with the machine, or is it always uh, all? Original? Maybe sometimes on on gigs I would do that, but not really. Uh, not really so much uh on the albums i don't yeah i don't i haven't really 
done that. But sometimes they, I would play like tune as an encore or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Just to fill out a set. To lighten it up. To yeah. lighten it up. <laughs> I was also curious about, uh, was there any relationship to Elvin Jones' Jazz Machine when you named your group? Uh, yeah, I was aware of that, uh, that Elvin had that group, but it's pretty, it's a cool band. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it is a cool name, but I mean, having a jazz group with that at this day and age, it's just like, okay, clearly I'm going to think of Elvin. I was just wondering yeah. how, how strong that was when you decided to do it. Um, it was, um, I was, I was looking for a name that would be something else than first name, last name, quartet. Like sure, sure, I sure. had a, I had, I wanted something more interesting and, uh, and then that I came up, I came up with that idea and then my my concern was a little bit like is it is it too similar to that or you know that group Florence and the Machine right so I had those two that I was like ah this is like cutting too close like this is, I didn't like, even think like about that one until I, right now actually I didn't even <laughs> I, yeah. I didn't even think about yeah. Florence but right yeah so there are those but but I yeah I I, I figured it's uh, with my name it's it's uh, there's, there's also like, Rage Against how many bands have Machine. <laughs> Right, right. Yeah, it's because I feel like a a jazz band can kind of be like a machine. I mean, it's not like in a tech mechanical way, but it's like sure. uh, parts working together, absolutely creating something out of it. Absolutely. Is there a specific concept you have when writing for that band? I bring this up because I I'm wrapping up my own record right now, and that that album has a lot of. Uh, I'm inspired by street art with that group. So there's a lot of pieces on there that are response to street art. So when I write for that band, it's that's it. Like I write that way for that band. That being said, when you write for the machine, is it a specific concept you write within for the band? Or do you write for the players specifically? Or how does how does that band dictate your writing? Um, well, I do keep the instrumentation in mind. But but now with this this next album, it's also like um, some of the tunes are like okay, so this is what came out of my head. Okay, and now I have to figure out like who who's who's gonna be or which like what instrumentation is gonna work the best, and then I can kind of do the arrangement. Like there are a couple of tunes like that where I just wrote the tune and didn't really really think about anything else. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's it's really uh, it's just uh, just music, I guess. I don't have like a like a other other inspiration really than than music. Uh, I have been doing a lot of now that I've been trying to write more uh, on the bass or come up with stuff when I'm noodling on the bass. I do write a lot of bands. Yeah, there are a lot of. It just it just happens that way. You're like yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And then the problem right. with that, like. There's a fair amount of that on my record too. And the problem with that is you can find like great records, you know, like if you listen, (laughs) you can listen to a fair amount of Dave Holland and be like, Oh, he does it. Then I can do it. You know, like it gives you license just to, to write the vamps, but it can easily turn into a cop out. Right. Well, Dave, Dave Holland, I thought he left Miles group too, because he didn't want to play vamps. Like that's why he <laughs> took the band. 
some I have so many records with him where it's like, it, like right only vamps. Yeah, where it's like odd meter vamps and like yeah, he was his his writing was a big influence uh on me. Um yeah, for I that like reason. Yeah. Yeah. Um but yeah, I mean there's so many records where he just plays these strong bass lines but they're an odd meter. Yeah. Yeah, but vamps I I like it. I think it it's an, it creates a nice the fulcrum for everybody to pivot around. You know, you had like this one constant as the baseline and like so much can happen around that. Um, right. It's like a um, thing that for, for, uh, for some time I was feeling, I was thinking like, in all these like modern, like more open grooves and vamps kind of stuff. It's like, I want to, as a bass player, I want to keep it interesting. Meaning I want to like do a lot of variation and play kind of, kind of be like improvising over the vamp also even if it's not me playing a solo or anything but yeah. i just noticed that it's not, it's like a really cool sound when the bass player just plays down the groove and just like sticks to it it sound it makes everything it makes more it makes it more just put, like keeps it together very nicely yeah I mean, i'm specifically thinking of uh scott collie bass line on chris potter's record gratitude oh yeah so the tune is right. high noon in 13 oh. And like, oh, yeah, like the way Scott plays 13 under the solos, he like he never loses the pocket of it, but he's playing. He's not sticking to that bass line either. Like that's just his playing on that tune is such a master class in like how to address vamps and bass lines and stuff like that. And still like nod at it and keep the pulse of it, but play around it all at the same time. Like it's it's genius. So clear and like yeah. simple, but still, still like. Yeah, yeah, it's a great, great record. It's a great record. Yeah, Kaisa, yeah. thanks, thanks so much for doing this. Thanks for having me. Fun yeah, uh, with you. you, you're gonna have to uh, let me know who the band is when that record comes out, <laughs> and and what the song was by the chorus. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. yeah I need, cool I need to know what that, that is. I'm, I'm definitely gonna look it up. I'm definitely gonna look it up. Yeah. All right, all right. That was my talk with Kaisa Mansibu. Um, <laughs> so, so after we finished the interview, I definitely, I definitely tried to track down that music video, the music video of the cores that has the female bassist in it. Uh, I must have, I must have looked at like almost every official music video that the cores have on their YouTube page, and I didn't find it. And so then. Then I messaged her. I'm like, yo, I can't. I can't seem to find it. Uh, she was hilarious. She's like, yeah, I looked for it too. I don't know what happened. Uh, so this this music video that seemed to have, uh, you know, been been the catapult, been the, the instigator for her to start playing the double bass and, and her whole career uh, doesn't seem to exist. This this oasis of a music video. Uh, <laughs> I still find that hilarious. Uh, if you are enjoying the Bass Shed Podcast, please hit subscribe wherever you are listening to it. Feel free to leave a rating and a comment. Uh, that's about all I got for this one, folks. Uh, I will catch you on the next one in a minute.